that's the the next bit of the confession is that I also I am not a completer finisher. I am not an attention to detail operational person. And it did actually almost kill me. I did get cancer and I did recover from the cancer. Um, I actually was only out of the business for about two weeks. I think I did the invoicing on the last day I was in hospital. <laughs> As part of the LinkedIn Creative Programme, my mission over the next six weeks is to create a podcast series where I interview other agency founders on exactly what it takes to build a successful agency. Join me as I set out to understand how they think, hopefully learn some tips and hear their stories. This is Confessions of an Agency Owner. My guest today is Jay Cowell, the Managing Director of Launch Online. Jay's run her agency since 2012, building up to a team of just short of 30 people and £2 million revenue. Her mission is to create the happiest performance agency in the world. I wanted to dig deeper in what she does about hiring, firing, retention, and basically keeping a happy ship. There's some real nuggets of wisdom in here. Have a listen. Hi, Jay. How are you? Really good, thanks. It's great to be with you today, Chris. Good stuff. So my first question for you is, where did this mission to become the happiest performance agency in the world come from? It's actually a really interesting question, that, because it came out of some work I've been doing with Jago and Steve from Jago on EQ. So EQ, I like IQ, it's emotional intelligence. And I was trying to work out what, you know, people keep saying to me, you know, kind of what, what is your purpose? What is it that you're trying to achieve with this agency? And we were this collective of brilliant paid media people delivering great work for our, for our clients. But what was our differentiation? So rather than come at it from like a branding workshop and going down the marketing route, I decided to kind of look more within to work out what was it as the entrepreneur, the, the original agency founder, that was driving me forward to grow this agency. And the agency growth has been quite transformational, kind of to begin with, just in my bedroom in St. Colin Major in North Cornwall, randomly, through to now being 27 staff and um, office in Exeter, office in Bristol, um, you know, I think we should hit 2 million this year in turnover. So it's quite a transformation over 10 years that. What was it in the essence that was driving this forward? And the word happy kept coming up. And I had this breakthrough moment. So Steve does this kind of, you do a questionnaire, you work out um, where your cost of highs and lows with emotional intelligence and empathy are. So people think that emotional intelligence is just about... Um, being able to care about other people or be able to be able to communicate with them. It, it's not, it's about far, something far greater than that. And there's kind of four different areas that they look at. And you do a proper big questionnaire and there's variations of that across the world. But uh, with this particular one, you then get almost a temperature check of where you are on this scale of low emotional intelligence to high emotional intelligence in four key areas. And then you can work out what has a cost of high, what has a cost of low. So for example, if you're overly empathetic and you care too much about what other people think and it affects your behavior, you might have then weaker strategy. You might make less strategic business decisions. Um, and as part of working through what was it that was driving the energy of this agency forward, I realized I just want people to be happy and 
that's where then it all came from, which was by having the happiest performance agency in the world. And maybe that just becomes the happiest agency in the world. It's not about this kind of constant state of always having a smile on your face. It's actually about what the ingredients of happiness are and creating um, a, a, an environment that that can achieve that at times. Like I said, you can't be happy all the time. But what are those ingredients? And that has been, well, it's been transformational just really from a messaging point of view and being able to make strategic decisions that say, yes, that will reach that goal or no that actually should be lower down our priorities because you know what it's like if you've got 38 people you're constantly faced with decisions all the time and and issues all the time and you've got to therefore be very strategic in the way you approach that so do those decisions come down to what clients you work with you know day-to-day decisions does that happiness of the team does that come straight into the decision making process yeah let me give you some examples of, of decisions so like you say, who we work with now. Most agencies say that they have a no asshole policy, but this genuinely is about whether can we achieve for this client? Because no, no, no person, no account delivery specialist is going to want to work on a client where you're set up for failure, where you can't achieve success, that they're the most expensive in the market, but the least offer the least amount of value well no amount of google shopping optimization is going to sell those products if they're not set up for success so yes making strategic decisions about which clients that we pitch for or that we work with or the way that we approach the brief challenging the brief saying actually this isn't realistic to achieve but this you know maybe Maybe well, let's go at it from this way. So yes, it can be from a client point of view. Also from a recalibration point of view that we're, um, an, we're an extension of the client's team. Again, most agencies say that, but in reality, you've really got to feel like you're in a collaborative, trustworthy relationship with your client because then that allows you to be experimental. It allows you to get that extra bit of performance and you know you know all about that. Yeah, well, it's a partnership, isn't it? And you've got to trust each other. And like you say, you know, if they want to upscale spend, for example, this might not work, you know, and it's not then shooting you down if if you scale up and it doesn't work overnight. <laughs> I think we've all, we've all been there, haven't we? Where the client yes, wants to scale yeah. and you're trying to say to them, well, there's a process here, but actually don't don't shoot the messenger when it, if it doesn't work and we're telling you that from day one. What, um, in terms of like your own journey then, so like, I guess being happy in your own job, uh, that's why we start an agency. I mean, certainly for me, I, I worked in a, you know, a, a, a large company. I didn't like the politics, I didn't like the meetings about meetings, you know, and I couldn't really ever see myself going back to work for someone else again. But building that happiness for yourself and then, you know, transitioning that into a small team of four or five people is quite, quite easy. It's a great startup feel. I mean, that was, the, you know, the, the most fun I've had in terms of running a business. How does it change as the team grows? Because you've got more people to keep happy at the same time. Absolutely. So there's a couple of things to unpack there. Yes, I created the agency because I wanted flexible working and I didn't have that opportunity at the company I was working for and actually the job opportunities that were there. It was a, it was a little bit different 12 years ago 
for for a, a for a woman on you know coming off maternity leave we've moved leaps and bounds in that time but their flexible working wasn't really an option for me so I had to create an agency or I had to create a working environment that I could thrive I actually think though that by having more employees I've been able to do a better job of creating a a, a a happy working environment when there's only five of you if one of you goes off sick or if one of you is on holiday that's a lot of workload for then the four other people that to be left with and actually I probably set a very bad example I worked very late hours um, I, I threw everything at it uh, I didn't necessarily expect my team to do that but if you are looking to your leader to to, to set an example I didn't take holidays I didn't certainly didn't take long holidays. And one a, a transformational moment for me was reading that Netflix book um, which I now can't remember the name of, but I don't know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and 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 reading about how unlimited holiday actually may, meant people took less holiday and realizing that the nuances of creating a good working culture um, and a good working environment are actually quite complex and that that's a whole study in itself. Therefore, it wasn't like you could just tick a whole load of boxes, put a put a pool table in the office and then suddenly everyone would be happy. It was about learning much more about the psychology behind it. And that's where that's where that kind of EQ training looking within, first of all, for me to work out what creates a happy work environment. So agency life, and you know all about this, agency life is very stressful because you can't, although you can plan your workout, you can't tell if you're going to have five clients all call at the same time with an emergency problem. And we've had unprecedented, I mean, the word unprecedented has been used so many times over the last couple of years, but, you know, the queen dying, like we were, we were meant to be volunteering at the the Shetland Pony Sanctuary, or I think it was called Minute Miniature something, and and we were going to be volunteering poo picking Shetland ponies. I won't say the word, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> uh, and it was it was a, a chance for team bonding, giving back, because that's one of the things that motivates us as humans. Is um, we get serotonin by um, by giving by doing things beyond just our working day, um, which is one of the happy hormones. So we had this all organised and we ended up having to cancel it. We gave money to the charity instead because the Queen died and we needed to jump on making sure that we weren't showing inappropriate messages on behalf of our clients. And, and you know, there are, there are situations like that where you can't look at your workflow in a very uh, standard way. Therefore, you have to build a team that can cope with resilience, that there is enough um, of a working environment where there's enough time to be able to allow for that. So when you work in a high stress agency life and you don't want to promote a culture of work hard, play hard, which was very 10 years ago, it's important that you are big enough that you can allow for that, that time, that flexibility. So we say we've got 20% of our time for learning and development going to conferences, investing in ourselves, and 5% of time for t the team getting together, water cooler chat, our team get-togethers, some social activities. So actually, out of all of the working days of the year, taking away holiday, taking away sick leave, 
Um, it's only expected that the team be working on clients 75% of the time anyway, and that creates an easier environment. So at this lovely size that we are now, which is 27, I find it easier than when there was only five of us. I am not uh, complacent though. I think that 60, wow, I don't know how we necessarily scale it to 60. And that's the challenge that I'm giving myself at the moment. The, the ambition is to get get that big, is it? I don't know. I think that if you have an agency that is doing great work, and that's our ethos, happy people do great work, we're producing great award-winning work. You and I see each other at awards events all the time, and, and you know, um, I'm proud of being able to do that. You can only do that if you've got if you've got client new clients coming in with creative challenges that we can then um, help them reach and um, and you create a glass ceiling. If you don't keep growing, you create a glass ceiling for those account directors who want to move forward with their career or or want to be able to manage apprentices or graduates. You create a glass ceiling if you say, right, I've I've reached my favourite bit, we'll just stop now. So I'm looking at all kinds of creative ways that we can empower the team to, to, to keep growing, but making sure the cost of that isn't too high, um, that where we start to then lose any identity. It's a challenge though. It is, yeah. I mean, in terms of like your team structure then, so I mean, I mean we're at the point now where we're you know, overdue, but we're bringing in a, a people and culture manager because myself and Saeed who run the business, you know, we sort of, you know, confession time for me, if you like, is that, you know, we would try and dive into um, some of the HR stuff and, and we'd get it going and we'd get it going, but you can only do that in sort of sprints and it needs to be always on. So, I mean, do you have a people and culture manager in place now or is that, or is that you? <laughs> I think I'd say it's, it's me. I, interestingly, um, I have got uh, somebody who really would like to do that for us, would like to come into the company and do that for us. And it's the one thing, normally for an agency founder, it's sales that's the first, the last thing that they want to hand over. Mm. Um, uh, for me, actually, it's people and culture. And I am, I have no background. I've never managed a large team. I've I've never worked in another agency. There we go. There's a confession. Wow. Uh, I yeah, never worked in a large agency. I've never been in a network agency. I don't really fully understand the math, you know, the difference between all of these things, because I don't think you need to. And actually, I think it can be limiting if you jump from agency to agency, because you might see the same model kind of being recreated. I'm I'm not limited by that model. I have here are what our clients' challenges are and here is how we can meet them. Um, and in order for us to keep doing great work, this is the direction of travel for us. Um, so the people and culture bit I'm, I'm focusing on um, because it enables us to do, it enables us to feel pride in what we're doing because we then keep attracting really good quality employees and wow the last two years has been challenging from a recruitment point of view yeah. so if that's the one thing you've got right that's that actually solved one of the biggest business challenges out there i think handing over anything is impossible as an agency founder because the energy and enthusiasm and passion we bring to it is very hard to replicate um in other people 
but by being clear about what you're wanting to, to try and achieve, um, if you empower that person to be able to, to, to do that, and then you can focus on the bits that you want to focus on. I think that's a, a great thing to do. But for me, it's the piece that I'm enjoying most at the moment. So in terms of like sales and marketing and those other elements, because like you say, you know, you're, you're growing and, and you can't do all of those things yourself. You have to hand those things over. So do you have do you have a team around your leadership team that, you know, do they take sales, for example, does someone else take marketing? So for me, it's mar- marketing is the bit I enjoy. Um, do you? I hate sales. You know, I'm not a salesman. All our work comes inbound. I, I don't do outbound. I need to. But um you know that's the bit I enjoy that's the bit I'm passionate about is the marketing and 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 that's where I can offer the most whereas we've got a COO who does the day-to-day because I'll put my hands up I'm not I I, I don't enjoy the management I'm not the greatest manager I'm I'm pretty disorganized to be perfectly honest with you so which parts do you you know outsource to your wider team and which bits do you you really hone on that that uh, culture piece so I'd say that that that's the the next bit of the confession is that I also I am not a completer finisher. I am not an attention to detail operational person. And up to scaling to a million, I had to be all of those things all at the same time. And that is it's the it's the E myth, isn't it, where you're trying to be the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. That's right. Yeah, it's a great book. And there was one moment, and it did actually almost kill me. I did get cancer and I did recover from the cancer. So that was, I don't know if, I mean, who knows if, if it, that's what caused it. They don't know. They think maybe it was genetic, but, but it happened before the pandemic. And, um, I actually was only out of the business for about two weeks, but for a month before, um, and it was a full on operation a month before. Yeah. Well, because I was actually in a hospital bed for two weeks and the Wi-Fi reception was really bad there. Oh, I think I did the invoicing, though. I think I did the invoicing on the last day I was in hospital. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how, but, um, how did you... How did you... I was going to ask, how did you cope through that? Because, I mean, like like you say, if you're doing everything yourself, right, at that point, that's yeah. that really hammers home to you you need someone else here this business needs to survive if i'm not you know if i get run over by a bus or whatever you know i mean i had the responsibility i had was not only did so there were seven of us i think in the business at that point um not only did i have the responsibility of all of those people's mortgages payments you know but Mm. also you know in our line of work if google ads isn't running then business isn't being made so I had all of my clients who needed to make sure that their advertising was being run effectively. If they get any whiff that there's any trouble in the agency, they then start to panic themselves. So my job, and add to this, that I was the breadwinner. Um, My husband had given up work to be able to look after the kids so that I could put all of our eggs in one basket. I mean, the big takeaway, if anyone just takes one thing away from this interview, get critical illness cover now if you just rolled that out to everyone in our team just a few months ago actually yeah amazing if if you know if you have all your eggs in one basket then then at least back yourself with some insurance um which i luckily had but i had to make sure that the team 
um, were going to be okay. So for, for about 10 days, I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't know if it was kind of, I was going to die or, or whether this was salvageable. Um, and then after you've had the operation, you don't know necessarily whether it's spread. So there's a lot of uncertainty. So I don't know if it was training for the pandemic. I kind of, maybe the universe was trying to make me more resilient, ready for the pandemic. It was a bit of a harsh lesson to go through, but um, it did teach me that, that even if you aren't feeling steady, that at the top, it really matters that you look like everything's okay. I also learned that the team were amazing. I already knew they were amazing, but they'd never really be tested in any kind of way. And when you look on the whites of someone's eyes at the white, you know, at the whites of someone's eyes when you're telling them, you know, that their captain is uh, is potentially being taken off the pitch, um, you know, you get to see the might of these people, and they, the team of which a lot of them, if not all, no, almost all of them are still with me today. Um, they were phenomenal. They were absolutely amazing. But also our clients were amazing. They really trusted us. Um, and like I said, I was actually only properly out of the business for two weeks because of being operated on and bad Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, and it was it, it meant that the that the um, you know the pandemic was a walk in the park compared to that. So in terms of like you being out of that building and and like you say, your team's ethos and the, and the happiness. How important is it that your team members don't feel like that? Because if, if you felt like that because of what was going on and you felt like you, you had to sit in your hospital bed doing your invoices, what do you do to protect your team feeling like that if, if, they're, if they're off sick or, or something like so, that happens in their life? So that kind of goes back to that point of how being bigger is actually better it means that no one no one ever needs to worry about handing over work you know we we have experienced people with you know illnesses that they need more time off for and there is the team all just gathers round there's enough of us it's we're we're a pretty big agency for just doing paid media performance. Yeah, you are. Yeah. You know, we're we're a very if we were a department within a full service agency, it would be a massive agency. So there is lots and lots of skills within the team that we can easily pick up accounts, and we're very collaborative. Again, every agency says that, but we genuinely are. So when a client comes to us, they might sit in a particular pod with our team, but they will be getting other team members from other pods coming in and doing comparison work or you know, insights from other industries. But it goes back to that original point at the beginning part of this question before I threw that, <laughs> that curveball at you. I, you weren't expecting that, but the um, I, I delegated the things that I couldn't do. I, I found um, a brilliant sales director and a brilliant operational director, um, uh, a brilliant marketing director who all can take those functions and own them and, and, and make sure that not everything is reliant on me. What, what you've got to be careful of in a founder-led, especially the, to begin with, there was only me, a founder-led agency is that they don't feel like it's only them that can do it. And I've seen real examples of this where they'll go in and do the sales pitch and they'll sell Coca-Cola and then they hand it over to the team, perhaps often a, a maybe 
selling for the sake of selling rather than actually a brief that they can answer. And then they hand it to a junior team and then they give the client panda cola because that junior team isn't empowered, doesn't have the mastery or the experience to be able to deliver for that client. You you never want as a client to feel like you're being palmed off onto, uh, onto a junior team that who haven't got the experience to be able to deal and meet the challenge. Because ultimately a client just, they have a challenge, you're solving that challenge for them and therefore you've got to empower the agency team members to be able to deliver against that. So uh, it was delegating, but in order to delegate, I've got to afford the best people. And to afford the best people, I had to put the foot down and ex- accelerate so that we could actually afford to do that. And that was the hardest bit, that that million turnover when I was still trying to do too many of the functions. That was, that was you know, squeaky bum time. It's interesting because my, my journey's almost the opposite of that. So, I mean, I, I, basically my son's disabled and I, I'm sort of, I, although I'm married, I'm the sole, sole carer of him. So I can only work basically when he, when he gets picked up by a bus and I have to be home when he gets dropped off. Yeah. So my journey, if you like, is very different in terms of trying to offload as much as I can to make sure yeah. it's not reliant on me. And um, yeah, it's it's quite relieving when you do that but there's still so much that also comes back comes back to yourself as the founder obviously you've, you've got to make the decisions etc but yeah certainly for me it changed my life when when I got you know our COO in place and then we're building yeah. a leadership team and everything else and I've had times where he had surgery uh, a hip surgery a few years back and he was off for for 10 weeks in a hip spiker and Gosh. I couldn't be in the business and it was the same in, in school holidays I can't be in the yeah. business as much as I want to be, um, and it's that's when you find out about how good your team is exactly, and and if but, you but also if you can try, I think yeah, yeah that that um, people thrive with feeling empowered. If you create yeah. an environment where you're properly empowering team, nobody wants to be micromanaged. Nobody wants to to have a glass ceiling. They want to be empowered. They want to be supported in those decisions. Um, again, you know the 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 opposite is is someone making a decision and then you're telling them off for it and they didn't know how you were going to react they they need to feel empowered and supportive we we do something that i got i got taught by someone else and it's it's a way to show that failure is okay but that you learn from it and that i, I think i mentioned on a on a linkedin post recently about how um asahi the marketing director from asahi was at the e-commerce expo uh, in his talk said that they have the golden lollipop award which celebrates a team that has failed but has learned from that failure and it has led on to success so if something goes wrong which by the way we're all human so things do go wrong if something goes wrong we get that team member or that pod to present um, once the emotion is removed from the situation and things have calmed down to present back to the team what happened and what the solution was and what they've learned from from it because if people live with a fear of failure they're much less likely to be successful in business because there will be things that don't work. Well, I mean, you, you just have no chance, do you? I mean, let's yeah. face it. If, if you're scared of failure, then you shouldn't be starting a business. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of the lessons that you learn, you don't even know there's lessons to be learned until you actually experience it and fail at it or make a mistake. And then that sets you up for the next time. Yeah. The biggest and, lessons, 
And, you know, you're, you're being able to talk openly about it means that the team can flag early on when they think something might be going awry and then you all feed into it so that people... is a very lonely place if you think, oh, crap, I've done something to whatever and it's gone wrong. What are they going to say? And you, that anxiety that you get or that anxiety you get on a Sunday night when you don't want to open your emails the next day, you know, again, it goes back to that point earlier that you said... How, how do you model better behaviour? I did that by putting the right people in in the right places so that I didn't have to work like that. So if we can dive into some of those ingredients, if you like, obviously it starts when you're hiring. What do you look for um, in people? Because I saw on your website about the, the no arsehole policy, which <laughs> I, I love. And also, the, is it the LOLers? Or <laughs> Lot, yeah. Um, so we call ourselves Lollers um, because Lollers. our our, our trading name our um our company name is launch online limited um, ah, okay. so that's our full name so it's lol um and i actually really strangely googled last night what lola actually means and it can in a traditional way it's somebody who's overly relaxed well that's not what i'm promoting um and and it also can be someone who uses laughing out loud emojis too much <laughs> i don't i mean i probably do do that but it was more launch online. You work for Launch Online Limited. That's that's why you're a loller. But um, I think we have to be careful that we don't go down a road where we say, from an employment point of view, that people have to behave a certain way. I think we we're very mindful of unconscious biases of just creating a company that looks like each other, that sounds like each other. You need diversity, and you need diversity of thought. You need diversity of culture. That's something in the Southwest we really struggle with. And we're looking at ways how we can improve that in the future. And the team have unconscious bias training. We're going to move to redacted CVs. There are things that we're putting in place. But right now, for the, the size we are now at 27, yes, we say we have a no arsehole policy. But we also have a, a, a process where there is just checkpoints all the way along there's lots of conversations are you meeting the standards it is very in our performance world it's very clear to see when somebody's achieving and not achieving and ultimately the client has got to see you know results and they've got to feel the team have got to feel um empowered to you know to be able to deliver those results paid media isn't for everyone you know data and analytics isn't for everyone um, so it's not where you come in to launch and then you're kind of wrapped in cotton wool and we'll look after you for the rest of your life. We have to be a commercially effective performance agency. That doesn't, that's not going to work for everyone. So fail fast is normally, is normally the approach we take. Um, and but so being that's on the probation that's on the probation thing is it so so I was, I was going to ask what are the sort of things you look for and then if someone isn't a fit how quickly do you identify that and what do you what do you do about it and what repercussions does that have on on the wider team if, if people are coming in and out quick? as long as people know what expectations are that you're not just picking out things from nowhere so our performance development system is something that we're constantly evolving and we have a matrix of this is what good looks like and this is what excellent looks like again you've got to be it's got to be with the eyes of it's you know that this is an evolving landscape 
I don't know when you got into to uh, performance, but it was for me, it was over 12 years ago. And you just wrote a tiny little headline on Google ads and a little tiny description, normally keyword stuff. There. Well, I, I, mean, I, I did um, PPC back in the days of eSpot and Overture, which was 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> back then it was a very different beast to what it is today, I can tell you. Exactly. Yeah. And so now we need to breed these unicorns. And these unicorns need to be able to be technically proficient to work in an interface like Google Ads or Meta, which constantly is updated every time I log in. Um, they need to be able to talk to clients and, and understand their marketing strategy, understand their target clients, their what their tone of voice is. They need to be unicorns. They need to be able to feel empowered to challenge the client, you know, to be resilient enough when the client goes, well, why aren't we getting these results to say, well, actually, here is the landscape that, you know, we can see. You can't have multiple people kind of dealing with clients and all giving different answers they've everybody in the business has got to be empowered to be able to talk to those clients so we do things like resilience training that's we've got a, a workshop with simon hares on the i think it's the 8th of december all about um building trust um building trust with your team building trust with your clients building, building trust with your network and and to empower the team from from that point of view we've got a resilience program coming up next year we did um a, a, a client client um overcoming objections in our september get together these are none of these are anything to do with what button you click in google ads no no so this is so that the team feel empowered so that the team feel autonomy. So those, those, the recipe that we were talking about is autonomy, purpose, um, and mastery. Mastery is that you, you're great at Google Ads, you get better at it. I mean, we also do Pinterest and Meta, but you're given that time to, to feel like you are at cutting edge. Like I think that's that really interesting YouTube because video. I think with training, often we think you know it's about making them better at Google Ads or, or you know advanced CRO or whatever it could be, but actually a lot of your training is, like you say, about resilience and things like that. So, so I think that's a really good snippet, and I love the the failure showpiece thing. I think that's that's a brilliant way of of encouraging that, almost celebrating it each month with the, who's fucked up the most. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what did you learn? Yeah. But it, it, we, it needs to be a constant open conversation. It's a reminder, isn't it? That yeah. It's okay. yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you know, you're not, you're, so if, if you're talking about in those difficult times with performance management with a team member, a, a constant open, open conversation about in order for a launch to be commercially successful for us to be able to retain our clients and win new clients, these are the standards to which we hold ourselves you are either meeting these standards, exceeding these standards, or not reaching these standards. It, it, you know, agency life is not an easy one and it's not for everyone. I was in the house no, beforehand. It was, I miss the meetings for meetings sake. <laughs> I couldn't stand the meetings for meetings. <laughs> I'm meeting on Tuesday to discuss the meeting on Wednesday and then a meeting on Thursday to discuss what happened. <laughs> In terms of, uh, so that's brilliant, yeah, in terms of hiring, so are there any particular things you look for in someone outside of PPC experience when you hire them that are going to fit into your culture? Yeah, the, um, understanding marketing is really, in, being, no, being interested, curious, curious, mm -hmm. that is probably the key word. Being curious about things, being curious about what's going to happen with 
Web3, how's that going to impact paid media? Are you experimenting with cryptocurrency? Um, you know, what, what are you passionate about? Because the, all of those things, when we jump on a call with a client, we're not just having a conversation about what the click-through rate is or what ROAS is being achieved. We're asking them, how's your business for next year? What challenges have you got coming up? And being curious about business, the the market that we're operating in is absolutely crucial because normally you're promoted to a point of incompetence if you're being promoted from exec to manager. You might not have managed a team before. You're always being promoted to that level where you're like, ah. Um, so having that curiosity and that passion behind that can then g you up as you're going to your next level of challenge um is really important yeah definitely and in terms of like retention then so what are some of the things that you do what are the tips that you would give in terms of keeping that happy ship so for example yeah you know you, you mentioned the um, anonymous surveys i mean we do that here and, and again as the founder sometimes it's you know it's, it's quite a painful read isn't it um but is so valuable that insight because you 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 want you want that insight even if it's bad yeah and you and you want it while you can still do something about it exactly while you can still do something about it yeah yeah because i think the biggest frustration and and it's something we haven't actually rolled out yet but i'm interested to see if the team are going to want to do would be kind of career consultation so we have a majority of what we do is paid media management, but we also have conversion optimization and data and analytics measurement. So there will be people who have been doing paid media for four or five years, and actually they think, do you know what? I'd, I'd actually quite like to move more to conversion optimization. Um, being able to make sure that we we show that that's possible. So we've got one guy who's got 50% of his time paid media, 50% of his time data and analytics that enables him to be able to see what he's measuring within paid media. And that's a career choice for him. That's a great career opportunity. So I kind of want to make it more accessible to have career mentoring within launch or find mentors outside of launch to help that. Because right now we're the custodians of these employees, but that's not always necessarily gonna be the case. Although when people resign, they still cry. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I, it's hard. It is hard because it's hard because we're founders and we really care about what we do. And we always feel a sense of failure or a sense of what more could we have done more of. Um, but uh, I don't know what film it's from but or what thing it's from. But, you know, our employees are little butterflies on our hands and you can't hold them too tight. Otherwise, you'll crush their wings. You've got to be able to let them fly away. Um, but you just, you know, maybe put some glue on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a hard, <laughs> harsh lesson, isn't it? But I think, yeah, I mean, certainly in the early days of running my agency, I really took it badly when someone left. I, I took it as a real rejection, like getting dumped. Um, but I think over the years, I've sort of come to accept that we're just a part of everyone's journey. And I think, I mean, I've run my agency for 14 years, so I've had a lot of people come and go in that time. And they've all played different parts in in our journey but yeah obviously it's always horrible isn't it but yeah and and sometimes you have to make decisions that are for the benefit of the whole agency rather than one you know individuals Uh, that's the thing that that's one of the things with the eq training that i've been working on is understand that in order to be strategic 
that you there are times where you have to make difficult decisions that that you can't please everyone all of the time and that's really challenging because normally I don't know is it normally certainly within marketing we tend to be people pleasers we tend especially agency life you're always there's always someone to please so it can become quite tricky if you know that something you're doing is affecting one individual but benefits the whole company so I mean just on that question then so you've got to do a team day you've got 27 people to please how, how do you come to a solution where you, you please 27 people so we have a social committee. Oh, okay. So every uh, every other Thursday, the social committee meet. They plan out. We have quarterly get-togethers because um, we're a, a hybrid team, two offices, but most of the people are at home. Some of them all of the time. Um, so the quarterly get-together. And by the way, I notice if any of the team members aren't able to make the quarterly get-together for whatever you know family reason or. Um, I notice how much further away they feel to the rest of the team if they miss just one quarterly get-together. So it has a really, really positive mm. impact on their, their bonding with their colleagues um, and, and then their work performance. So the team get together to decide. They have a budget so that there's, there's a budget in place. I do have guidelines like uh, the guidelines are that it's got to be inclusive that it can't we're not we've not we're not an agency that's born out of this kind of work hard play hard get smashed on a friday culture um so there normally has to be some sort of outdoors activity some physical activity because that steps us away from our desk we sit at a desk all day long every day you know so it's nice to have so we walk the coast path on the last one that doesn't suit everyone though because it was quite a challenging walk um so the the social team get together and and decide and we then get an anonymous feedback after the get together um we make sure that it's inclusive that we pay for everyone to get there we we pay for everything while they're together um and it just means that then afterwards you poll. We stayed in a youth hostel last time. That was quite interesting. Oh, wow. So we had bunk rooms and um, and it got eight out of 10 on its score. Um, the, get, the get together overall, I think got about nine point something out of 10. Um, but we then look to the next one. To, it's normally organized. That would then impact one in two get togethers time because of the lead time of getting together. Right. Um, but again not everybody can be happy all of the time and so you you put it to to the team to decide you blame the social committee yeah and the social <laughs> to be honest with you the social committee um so it they do it's a quite it's quite onerous on them um mm. we give people then the choice to to kind of leave the social committee uh, and i don't think any of the people left which is oh, interesting. Wow. They they don't seem to mind to do the work because they see then the enjoyment. Um, things that are collaborative, like barbecuing, for example, meant that you, it's just all, you know, you've all kind of got to muck in. Um, things that are mucking in. Sitting at a big, long table, being forced to sit beside the same people, you know, for an entire mediocre three-course Christmas dinner, that doesn't work out too well because it's, is not collaborative enough. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. So my final question for you today, Jay, is how do you keep a smile on your face? Because obviously 
you know, <laughs> when you're having a really shit day and you've got to turn up to the office yeah. or whatever, what do you do to make sure that that positive energy obviously reflects, reflects outwards? So I love to tell you that I get up at 5 a.m. I start the day with yoga and the chai latte, <laughs> but um, no, it's not that. And it is a roller coaster. And um, it is a roller coaster, but by being on the roller coaster with lots of people that you enjoy working with is really important because they pick up when you're feeling not yourself. And you can't be an always on person. Uh, if if you are there normally is a cost somewhere along the way and it might be your family that that have the cost I do you know sometimes think my family do burn um, get the burden of my stressful work days sometimes luckily my husband's also in the business now so he can see it from from um, he knows yeah he can see it firsthand but making sure that you have balance or you strive for balance uh, is I think what's important so I, I did the do lectures um, David Hyatt's keyboard CEO course I go on and on about it all the time but it's just a one-day course in London the idea being that you've got to be very careful you're not so busy you walk past your big idea or you're so busy with stuff that you shouldn't be busy with that you miss the stuff that really is important I am really bad at always being busy but by being consciously, by consciously trying to allow more space for thinking, it is improving, but I'm very much a work in progress. Yeah, I always have a thousand ideas going through my head and a thousand things I want to do. But th that thinking space, like you say, I mean, when I do go on holiday, I don't know about you, but I have two days where I'm like, I'm not going to think about work. I'm not going to do anything to do with work. And two days later, you just all these ideas just suddenly start gelling, don't they, in your head and Right, where's a notepad? <laughs> yeah. You start reading. Yeah, and it's and it's really important to take breaks for that. And and holidays are a great way because you're normally separate. You know, you're normally there's some sort of travel involved. Mm. There's normally some separation, and you've done a handover. It they are really really important. You also then find that that's when the highest chance of employee resigning is when they come back from holiday or the Christmas break because. They have had time to think and reconsider yeah. and that's why the pandemic changed so many people's views and the pandemic gave rise to a lot of great ideas because it removed some of that busyness and people took a breath and they suddenly because we were told we could only walk for an hour a day or we could only go outside for an hour a day everybody went outside for an hour a day that was a really powerful thing um, and and if this is for agency founders who are looking to scale that is a big piece of advice. So the first piece was the critical illness cover. The second piece is you must take holidays. Even if you can't afford to go away, you must empower the team to look after the business in your absence. Because if you don't feel you can do that, then, I don't know, it takes a lot of the joy and the potential for thinking time away. That's a brilliant point to leave us on. Thank you very much, Jay. I've really enjoyed today. I've got some really valuable insights from that as well. Pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting to you, Chris.